0: Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we finish up in chapter 5 of Revelation where we've been looking further into the worship in heaven. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. But
1: they were with them. This was things that, that they were familiar with. This would be like somebody walking into your house and killing your cat or dog. You know, maybe somebody want your cat or dog killed. You know, but no, I didn't say I do. Don't look at me like that. Thank you. I am um, <laughs> not a dog hater. But I'm just saying, you know, it would be that traumatic. It would be like your pet being sacrificed to pay for something that you did. And they did that. God did that for them in the garden. And you know what it was? It was a foreshadowing of the system that he already, he didn't invent it after they fell. He already had it established before to having Christ established to do the work he was going to do before they fell because we're told that he was sacrificed for our sins when before the foundation of the world. It didn't take place. Then the point was God already had it in place to be done. He already had it in place to be done to provide that way back to fellowship God was instituting the shedding of blood as the, the covering for man's sins. He was putting in motion the process of redemption that would eventually culminate and be completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And now with Christ having done that work of redemption, becoming the sacrifice for us, we are again brought back into fellowship with God. These saints in heaven are simply proclaiming this truth in this song. You see, Fourth, this song honors the payment of redemption, the payment of of redemption by your blood, blood was required and blood was shed. Just as we've read so many times in first Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 18, it says this first Peter one, beginning in verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. How many of us, how many people in religion think they can buy their redemption? There's entire church system set up on that. You just come in and drop your coins into the coffer and God's going to forgive. God's going to, he's going to count your favor to you. And there's Christians in evangelical churches that think that if I just give God more money, it's going to give me greater standing and favor. But you know what? Peter says, uh-uh, huh, uh Your redemption has nothing to do with these things. These things are worthless when it comes to it. And the traditions, he says, of your fathers. You know, I grew up as a kid going to church because my parents at first went to church every week. Mom finally got to the point where it was kind of like as long as she went on communion, Easter, and Christmas. We used to call it CEC Christians, right? Communion, Easter, and Christian, Christmas Christians. That all would be good. She had to get, be there for those things. So these traditions, but, but, but Peter's saying that that doesn't redeem you. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, he paved the way with his blood. He shed it. Precious blood was required. And it was precious blood that dripped from the cross of Calvary. And with every splash it made onto the ground, your name was being written in it. Your name was written in it. Wow. Number five, the song honors the scope of redemption. It honors the scope of redemption. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Christ's redemptive work is a worldwide redemptive work. As these worshipers declare, Christ's work on the cross affected the whole earth, not just some isolated little group of people who live on the earth. Now, this does not mean, as some would take it to mean, the context doesn't give it to us, nor does the rest of Scripture. This does not mean that all men are automatically redeemed because of what Christ has done. But it's that he did it on behalf of all. He did it on behalf of every human being who has ever lived and will ever live. He's done it for all, and it is available to all who will receive him and what he's done for them. I've heard people suggest that Christianity is an exclusive religion, and in one sense they're right, but in another sense they're wrong the right in the sense that you must commit your life to Jesus Christ in order to be saved and to be a Christian. In that regard, it is absolutely exclusive. If you don't do this, you will not be a Christian and you will never enjoy any of the benefits of redemption. And in that sense, it's exclusive for many, as a lot of people in this world have absolutely no desire to commit their lives to Christ. They'd love the benefits of it, but they don't want to commit their lives to him. Remember, Jesus himself made redemption exclusive in this sense. In John 14 and verse 6, the clearest statement that could be made in all of scripture, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except those who worship Buddha and those who live a good life and those who follow the traditions and those who give enough money and those who, no, no one comes to the father except through me, except makes it exclusive, doesn't it? Except through me. It's exclusive to belief in Jesus. John three, three, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when I first got saved, I didn't get that. People were always talking about being born again. And I actually am going to tell you guys this. I think we ought to get back to that term because I think it's clearer than a lot of the terms we use. You need to get saved. Well, we can be saved from lots of things and the scriptures show us that, right? Jesus saved people who may never have gotten saved in their souls, but he saved them from things in their life. Look, I think we need to get back to what the scripture says and born again is the term. But when somebody talked to me about that, I was like Nicodemus. It's like, why can a man be born again? Been born once and then pulled out the scriptures. They're like, hey, somebody else said that too. And began walking me through that. To be born again, Jesus says. And there's only one way to do that. And the scriptures tell us that, right? John 3, 36, he goes on to say, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Boom. How to be born again? Believe in the Son. Believe in Jesus. Now, when it says believe in him, well, there's lots of people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Muhammad. I believe in... That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about exclusive belief. It's talking about a committed belief. It's talking about this is the one to whom I'm turning my life over to. It's the one who I'm looking to. It's, it's actually action-oriented in that regard. So yes, in this sense, Christianity is absolutely Exclusive. But it's also inclusive in the sense that anyone can be a Christian if he or she is willing to accept Christ alone as their Savior. Jesus paid the price for the whole world. He didn't just pay it for a select group of people. He didn't just pay it for his select group of disciples who were Jewish by background. He didn't do that. He did it for the whole world. And his desire is that the whole world would take advantage of the redemptive work he did on their behalf, just as John three sixteen. says declares for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've heard some, I know good brothers in Christ who treat that verse as meaning only the select group that Jesus picked is the whole world. I'm, I'm a pretty simplistic guy. And when the scriptures say to me that whoever It doesn't mean whoever amongst a certain group. It's whoever. 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 And I'm glad for the whoever. Because now I am. You know? And to be honest with you, there were more spiritually minded people than me when I first was approached with the gospel. I'm glad for the whoever because I know people today who are in Christ who I would never, if I were God, would have picked. (laughs) There are people today of different backgrounds and different race and different ethnicity who've come to faith in Christ, who the world has excluded from things. But Jesus says, I'm not excluding you. If you put your faith in me, you can have redemption too. There's no ticket to get in. There's no behavior. There's no skin color. There's nothing of that. It is belief in me. You see, he died for the whole world. Therefore, redemption was for the whole world. Redemption is not exclusive, but the benefits of redemption are. Get it? Redemption itself is not exclusive, but the benefits of redemption are. You must believe in order to appropriate the benefits of Christ's redemptive work. There is no such thing as universal salvation. There is no such thing as some people teach today. But in heaven, we see the worldwide effects of Christ's redemptive work as there are people here described to us in in, in Revelation 5 from every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every nation. And by the way, who is the only group of people who can say, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation? Only the church can say this. Only the church can say this, which means that the church is in heaven here in chapter 5 before the tribulation begins in chapter 6. Ah, Well, number 6, the song honors the length and breadth of redemption. For you have made us kings and priests to our God. Think about this. Redemption does more than just save us, although this, this would certainly be enough in itself, wouldn't it? I mean, just being born again would be enough to know that we're not facing an eternity of separation, an eternity of hell. And, 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 but, but he does more than that. Redemption brings us back into fellowship with God, which is beyond anything we could have ever reasonably have expected. But here we find that redemption also gives us position and status in heaven. You know, people in this world are always striving for position and status and it's wrong. People in Christianity strive for position and status and it's sinfully wrong. But this is the one place we could strive for it in the heavenly court because one day it'll be given to us, you see. We who are saved will one day actively serve in heaven in the millennial kingdom of Christ as kings and priests of God. We won't just be be with Jesus, but we'll be ruling and serving along with him. We'll be kings because of this royal birth, because of the royal lineage we have as a result of our relationship with him. And we'll be priests because of our priestly heritage in Christ. Like the Levites who served because they were in the lineage of Levi, we will serve because we are the lineage of Jesus, the one one true and great high priest. Now, how awesome is this? I mean, think about this for a minute. I have to tell you, this whole idea of being a king, it just really fires me up. I like this. Can you imagine King Randy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my wife will say, you can't be the king now, <laughs> right? It doesn't, if it doesn't fire you up in thinking about this, is because you're thinking of things in human terms. Even when I say King Randy, If if that doesn't fire you up, if it terrifies you, well, maybe that's because you're thinking in terms of where we are right now. I would be a terrible king right now. I would be an awful king right now. You know, I was sharing with somebody one time my political views on some stuff and they looked up at me and said, you know, you ought to run for like the presidency. And I looked at them and said, no, you wouldn't want me to do that. It'd be awful, you know. But see, we're forgetting that when we're standing in that day in the heavenly kingdom, We will be completely different. There won't be a flaw or a blemish left on us, not in our flesh at all, because that will have been taken care of. We'll have new bodies. We'll have the, the, the flesh that we struggle with will be gone. It's out of the picture. You see, we'll be perfect in that regard because he will have made us perfect in that regard. Our judgments will be his judgments because our mind will be that of Christ. We're told in the scriptures when we see him, we'll be like him. And if we, he's a God who is a perfect king. And so if he appoints us to that role, we'll be perfect kings as well. You see? But all of this is my point is what the redemptive work of Christ makes possible. All of this. It doesn't just result in salvation. It doesn't just result in eternal fellowship with God, but it takes us to another level and it enables us as his kings and priests to be those things, those who will rule and minister in his kingdom that will encompass the whole earth. All I can say to that is, wow. And that's an understatement. Finally, number seven, the song honors the results of redemption. It honors the result of redemption and we shall reign on the earth. The better word based in in the Greek here is over not on but over the word is a pie in the Greek and rather than on which you know, what it's saying here is that we shall reign over the earth, we're coming back here with Jesus after the dark years of the tribulation are over after the world has been purged and these unruly occupants either are evicted or brought to submission to the owner, the true owner of this world is planning to bring us back with him to once again lay full claim to something which we had given away and we won't just be coming back as spectators, but as participants with him. He's bringing us back so that we can fulfill these positions that he's appointed us to as his kings and priests, as we reign over the earth with him. And this is the one time when we will all appropriately share in his glory. You know, right now we can't touch his glory and we must be very careful not to do that I'm very careful about that. When you all look at me and say, oh, Pastor Rene, that was a great message today. Boy, I have to fight in my heart not to take that to self, but to turn that back to the Lord. I used to tell you guys, I used to scare people because I go, oh, don't tell me that because you're going to take my reward away. And Cindy would stand there when she'd say, they got a terrified look in their eyes. They have no idea what you're talking about. She says, just say, thank you. Praise the Lord. He needs to be glorified. So I'm trying to do that better. But I know my human nature. I mean, I would lie to you if I said there aren't times when I want to and say, yeah, it was really good today. You know, I said that's why my mom always used to keep me humble because we'd go home and I'd be thinking, that was a great message today. I'd say, well, mom, what did you think of the message? I thought it was pretty good. She said, I thought you would never finish. (laughs) Boom, (laughs) boom. And I got it. We can't touch his glory in this life, but this is the one time we'll be permitted to because he will share it with us. We won't be reaching for it. He'll be giving it to us. He'll be sharing it with us as we rule and reign with him on this earth. So this is the new song that the elders are singing. This is it. But now it's the angel's turn. Look at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Wow. Wow. Now the voice of many angels around the throne rises up in praise of the great redeemer. It's interesting to note how in Revelation chapter 4 verses 9 through 10, the angels prompted the elders into worship, but now here it's the reverse. Now the elders seem to have prompted the angels to worship. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see this wonderful cycle taking place like this. One group's going to sing and it's going to fire up the other and the other's going to go. And we're going to go, you know, at the end of our pastor's conference, we sing this song. It's a a benediction, basically a a blessing. May the love of our Lord be with you now and always. And, And it goes on. And what they have us do is split into two groups. And the first group, well, we sing it together, but then one group will point and look at somebody and we'll sing it. And then the next group will sing back at us. And you know what happens? They keep doing this. We keep trying to outdo the other one with a blessing. We keep trying to outdo that. Now, just imagine this in that day. It won't be we'll be blessing each other. We'll be trying to outdo each other in worship of Jesus. And it'll be good. It'll be right. It's not competitive. It'll just be each of us stirring the other on to praise the Lord even more. That cycle will be taking place. And that's what we see here. And these angels are now stirred up by the praise of, of the elders. They respond in kind. And what do they say? Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You will note that in their song, the angels don't just offer praise for the redemption, as was the case with the last refrain. This is because angels aren't the recipients of redemption. Their focus is completely different. They're careful observers of it all. And as such, they praise the Lord for what they see him doing through redemption. They're responding in the same way that we can praise God for the way we see him working in the lives of other people even now. The angels can clearly see the greatness of God's work in redeeming fallen men. So so in response, they credit power and, and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing to the lamb for what he's done. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In other words, the number's endless. Think about what we're going to see in that day saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And finally, this third refrain breaks out. But this time, it's all of creation. It's all of the heavenly hosts joining in the song together, the grand finale. What do they sing? Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. To those who would question whether or not Jesus is truly God, this chorus ends the debate. It ends the debate. This is a powerful and definitive statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. As Morris tells us in his commentary, there cannot be the slightest doubt that the lamb is to be reckoned with God and as God. And as Clark says in his commentary, now if Jesus Christ were not properly God, this would be idolatry in this moment. This would be idolatry as it would be giving to the creature what belongs to the creator. But it's being given here because Jesus is. The creator, he is one with God because he is God and they're worshiping for it. And in this moment, all of creation is worshiping him as God. John is correct. When he wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in John chapter one, verses one through four, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was a light. I praise the Lord that the light of men is now reigning and ruling in our heart and we are worshiping him as the one true God. Jesus is God and he's now being worshiped by everything and everyone for everything that he is God created. And then it says, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. What more could be said at the end of this chapter? I am in one regard I'm 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 glad we took the time to, to go through this over the number of weeks at the same time. Boy, I've been trying to keep the coherency of this whole thing. And I I hope just by reading the whole passage to you guys each week has helped to do that. Because I'm just telling you, this is a passage that has has built and has built and has built and it has ended with this amen. What else could be said? You really get that sense. It's so powerful. It's like we're now completely out of expressions and words. And amen simply means so it is. So it is. And so it is that Jesus, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the King of all creation, Jesus, the Kinsman Redeemer, in the midst of this worship, steps forward, takes the scroll, the title deed of earth and mankind, and he will now begin opening its seals and thus brings about a complete culmination of his redemptive work. And we'll dig into chapter six when he breaks those seals beginning next week. But note one other thing in this verse before we close here. Even after the Amen is declared the worship of Jesus, it didn't stop. They said, amen, but it went on. It says, then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And this is how it should be with us. When the last amen is said at the end of a prayer on a Sunday, our worship of Jesus should not end. It should not end. When when we stand in that throne room with one day our worship will not end. I will tell you this, if we don't see the coming of the Lord in our lifetime and we pass into eternity through death, when that last amen is said, as our eyes will close in death, we're going to be automatically ushered into his presence and we will be worshiping him. This is what we will do.